Good morning, everyone. <laughs> During worship, I, I was talking with the Lord, and because of last week, which which I applaud anybody who went back and listened to the podcast and who was here, and especially listened to the podcast a couple of times. I applaud you, because <laughs> that was a long one. That was very long, but very necessary. And so, because of that, and the fact that we have a very special celebration this afternoon, a wedding of some ignition people, the Lord had, I had been talking to the Lord about this morning, and how that it would be shorter. It would be a little bit shorter, and, and he agreed with me. And during worship, he kept giving me more and more, and I said, Lord, wait a second, this is supposed to be shorter. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Brooke said, you know what, we're going to go to the last song. That was him, by the way. Yes, I, I know it was, and because the Lord doesn't want to cut anything short. He wants... Uh, he wants us to get something this morning that's really important. And it's not just important for this church. It's important for the bride. If anything is important for the bride, this is important, what he has this morning. And so I thank you for the attentiveness that you had last week. I know it was long and very difficult. But there's something that is coming out of that. There is something that is birthed from that that is important. As I said at the beginning last week, last week was a declaration in the Spirit. Now, oftentimes, when the Lord has us do something like that, we don't fully know what that means. We don't know what a declaration in the Spirit means until we see it played out. And we will see it played out. But before we get going on what the Lord has this morning, I just want to pray. Father, we worship you and we thank you and we praise you. God, I give you my mouth. I give you my hands, my feet. I give you every piece of who I am. Most of all, Father, you have my heart. You have my will. Lord, my desire from the absolute depths of my heart is that you speak what you want. Not anything coming from me, but that you do what you want. I give this to you, Father, in the name of your precious Son, Jesus, whom is our King, whom is our Messiah, is our Lord, is our leader. We place ourselves at his feet. And we subject ourselves to your will. Fill me according to that will, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, after, after last week, there were some things that, that I know the Lord wanted to highlight that perhaps can be confusing, and the reason I say that is because the bride has messed it up from the very beginning. That's a pretty bold statement, pretty huge statement, from the very beginning. I'm not talking about the beginning of ignition. 
I'm talking about the beginning of the church. I'm talking about the book of Acts. I'm talking about when Jesus ascended to heaven and he told his disciples, wait for what's coming. The promise of this Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who would bring unity. The Holy Spirit who would bring his voice. I want to make one thing really clear. To everybody here, to everybody online, to the bride, to anybody who would even ask. There is only one leader in this church. There is only one. And it might surprise you that leader is not me. That leader is Jesus Christ. It was never supposed to be different than that. It was never supposed to be the factions that we have right now all split up into these different categories of believers. I mean, I get, I get the categories when they don't understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I get that. I get those denominations or, or those religions that don't believe Jesus as the Son of God who gave his life on the cross. Dying for you and for me. Raising from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because death could not hold him. He was sinless. And then being ascended to heaven, sitting even now at the right hand of the Father. I get that there are religions based on the fact that that, they don't believe that. I get that. But the hard part is those who do believe that. Those who do accept him into their heart as Savior. And yet, there is this tremendous separation. We call them different denominations. And for the most part, they don't play well together. Right? They believe different things, and they're literally separated on their doctrine. Now, I get the separation, too. I understand that. But what you have to understand is that was never God's plan, ever. And I want to show you today where it, went, where it went wrong and where he wants to do it right. And he's been wanting to do it. He, let, me, let me repeat that or let, let me rephrase that. He's been wanting us to do it right. Right? Jesus gave the platform of how to do it. And this is going to show you how... Crazy things can get when you go just a little bit off. Just a little bit. So again, let me make clear. Jesus Christ is the leader of this church. Jesus Christ is the true leader of his bride. Of his bride that would follow him. But it is their choice. I want to begin at the beginning of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Right before Jesus ascended, he told his disciples, when he came back, he spent 40 days with them, teaching them a lot of things. Obviously, you can imagine their reaction to Jesus Christ rising from the dead and now talking with them. Although, honestly, they shouldn't have been surprised because he told them it was going to happen. You know, this set in stone kind of the fact that they need to listen to him, right? 
I mean, if anything. But in those 40 days, he taught them many things. He fellowshiped with them. It says he ate with them. I love that because that's an indicator that we're going we're gonna to eat in heaven. And, and there are many other verses about that as well. For those, those of you who enjoy eating, you'll relish in that thought with me. Although I'm not sure what's going to happen because if there's no death then I'm not sure how I get to have a really good ribeye. I don't know. Can you answer that for me? You can't, can you? No, you cannot. Maybe it's in those movies where, where you press these buttons and this little pill comes out and it tastes like something else. I hope not. That wouldn't be good. But God will figure it out. I, I have a feeling that that the original food that Adam and Eve had is something that would absolutely blow our minds. And so we trust him. But the Lord said something very important. And this is something that we need to get because often he will say these things to us. And we'll kind of, okay, yeah. I mean, it's so obvious. Yes, I understand that, Lord. So... And then we just kind of put it there, thinking, of course I know that. And then we're faced with something, and we forget that he told us this. And we forget the importance of what he just said. And then we apply our own reasoning to something, and it leads down a path that can be very destructive. I want you, in chapter 1, turn to verse 4. And this was at the end. This was right before Jesus ascended. He said, and while staying with them, he ordered them, talking about the disciples, and, and not just the 12. We, we know as we get into chapter 2, there were about 120 with him. He said, and while they, staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And I don't know if that means in our vernacular soon, right, which we kind of joke about, but he didn't tell him exactly when. He told him, not many days from now, you will receive what the Father had promised. What I told you is coming when I leave. Trust me, you want me to leave, Jesus said, because of what is coming, the Holy Spirit that is coming. But I want to repeat a word here. Going back into toward the middle of, of verse 4. Don't depart Jerusalem, but Wait. I want you to circle that word. I want you to highlight that word. I want you to write, if you're writing in, in notes, write all caps in that word. The word wait. He said, wait. All I want you to do, I'm going to be real clear with you. I want you to go and stay in Jerusalem and wait until. Until this giving of the Holy Spirit. I want you to wait. Wait for the promise. Wait for what he has. And so they joyously spent their time with him, saw him leave. And I love it because the angels are like, he's gone. What are you, what are you waiting on? <laughs> you know, they're still looking up in heaven, waiting for him maybe to come back. And 
Then they go to Jerusalem, they go to the upper room, and they wait. Now recognize the time between the ascension and Acts chapter 2, the falling of the Holy Spirit, is only 10 days. Now to me, that's soon, right? We, we would take 10 days all over the place. <laughs> Lord, if you mean soon to be 10 days, I'll take it. I'll take it. In this case, their wait was not even very long. But yet, it, it was literally the first command of what they are to do without Jesus. Without Jesus physically there. This was the first command that they were to obey without Him there. Just go and wait. Just go and wait. But they didn't. I want to go down to verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord, in other words, they were fully unified, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers because there were about 120 of them. And then Peter made the first mistake. Understand this. Peter made the first mistake. Remember, he was told, wait. Go and wait. Go and wait. Verse 16, Peter said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this, man's acquired, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open into the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. Then, as Peter is saying this, he is saying, for it is written in the book of Psalms, and he's now making his case. He's now making this ca his case of this vacant position, right? Judas is now gone. He was counted amongst the twelve. And he's gone by his own choice. And he was there to fulfill the scripture. So now Peter is making his case that he has to be replaced. He said, for it is written in the book of Psalms. May his camp become desolate and there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, because two, had, two that fit that bill. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and then Matthias. 
And they prayed and said, you, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry. An apostleship, apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. I'm going to stop right there for a second. That was the prayer that should have happened before Peter stood up and spoke. Lord, who? Lord, we have a gap. We have something that was certainly within your will because it was his, your, it was Father's will for him to betray you. But now there is this gap. There are no longer twelve. There are eleven. And what you have for us, what you have in moving forward, requires a full allotment of what you have. So God, what do we do? That should have been the prayer. Seeking his face. What do we do? Instead, they take it into their own hands. They pick of two that they feel are qualified and fit the bill. And then then he says to Lord, Lord, within these two, tell us who you have picked. And then the next part is just heartbreaking. He says, And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, let me explain to you what casting lots means. Because you see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament. Casting lots is a form of chance. It's kind of like if you were to take dice and roll dice to see how it comes out, right? It's it's a, a, a little bit more random than any, meeny, miny, moe. Right? It is a form of randomness that they say that if you pray ahead of time and then you have this randomness, then, then it is at least not us picking. But it is in the realm of God to do his own picking. The problem is when you are on the wrong path to begin with, it is not God that's going to do that. All they had to do was wait. That's all they had to do. Be obedient and wait. But what they did instead is they chose a method that was familiar with, familiar to them. They chose a method that would not place the burden on their own hearts of making a choice. Well, we didn't choose it. We prayed first and we rolled the dice. We cast the lots. And the lot fell on Matthias. Well, he had a 50-50 chance. So did the other guy. Right? The reality of the question that I have is, were those even the two that God wanted in the first place? I submit to you, no. Because God then, later in Acts, I want to say it's maybe chapter 8 or 9, somewhere around in there, was the road to Damascus, and that's when he called Paul. Wait, how can Paul be an apostle? How, how can, you know, you can imagine their thoughts here. Wait, he didn't live with Jesus. He didn't even see Jesus. He wasn't around when all that happened. How can he be an apostle? But literally Jesus manifested before him on the road to Damascus to make that possible. Because, see, that was God's plan. He didn't need man 
to okay that plan. He didn't need man to move forward in that plan. That was his plan all along. When we take leadership into our own hands, we run that same risk. When we operate as a church without recognizing the fact that we go to the Lord for everything, for what He shows us to do in leadership. And I'm not saying you go to the Lord, Lord, should I tie my shoe this morning? That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, you can if you want. You know, if He needs to teach you how to tie your shoe every day, then... And good luck with that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things that he has not shown us or things he has not already let in. When he shows us what to do, then we're to step in that. We're to walk in that. But when he doesn't, sometimes it's because he wants us to wait. I could tell you with the building. That is going on. Right now we know it's the season where God's going to provide the building for us. We're getting into a building. We will not be here any longer once God works all of that out. Well, i got to be honest with you. We've been in this house for seven years. Or almost, well, going on seven years. And I thought we would be in a building in a few months. I really did. I've been part of building church. I know how to build church. Alexa and I have been part of church administrations for the better part of 25 years. We've been part of church building for the majority of that. We've been part of very big churches. So we understand church building. I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew how to market. I knew how to get the word out. I knew how to motivate and get people to get other people. Right? I, I'm, Lex and I are one of those few that did well in multi-level marketing. Which, by the way, don't ever talk to me if you have a multi-level marketing thing that you need to do, please. But you know what's wild? Is that is the original marketing system of God. Right? Two people tell two people. Those four people go tell an eight. All of a sudden you have eight, then you have 16, then you have 32. It is relational Marketing. I knew how to do all that. I knew how to grow a church. Lord, just just go ahead and give us this building. We'll be in there in a few months. And boom, we're going to just explode because you are exploding my heart. And I have so much that I want to share. And he said, whoa. <laughs> whoa, you got a lot of junk in you that I got to fix first. And there's a lot in ignition. There's a lot in that family, in that house church that has to be sifted through first. Because if you are going to be effective for me, for what I want, what I have called you to, then it has to be me. That's the Lord saying that. It has to be Him, not us. Certainly not me. Not any of us. It had to be Him. Those lessons take time. But then there comes a time when It does open up. We're in that season now where it's beginning to open up, where we know things are going to explode, but it is not because of some awesome marketing plan. In fact, the building that we're we're looking at getting is so off the beaten path, people are not even going to know we're there. Praise God. Because we only want the people that God is drawing. But he's already shown us what that's going to look like. 
See, we could have pushed ahead and we could have not waited because we kind of already knew what to do. We, we need to affect the masses, so we kind of we need a building to do that. I mean, of course that's God's will. How often do we do that? See, that's what they did. That's what Peter did. Of course it's God's will to replace that 12th person because it was said back in the Psalms that this was going to happen. And he ended it with that person must be replaced. So in Peter's mind, and I'm sure it wasn't just Peter. I, I'm, I'm sure it was the, the group of them talking. They all had agreement together that, yeah, well, of course. That's what the scripture says. Let's take it into our own hands. We'll put the little chance thing out there so God can have his portion. Because we don't want to pick it all for him. We're going to lay out the parameters that we think the scripture says and, and what, what God kind of lays on our heart. And then we're going to give that last little choice to him. Oh, man, what if they would have given it all to him? What if they would have just waited? Well, you're going to see. You're going to see what it looks like to just wait. You're going to see what it looks like when God, when Jesus Christ is the leader of a team, where he is the one that makes the decisions. He is the one that moves things forward. Because, see, we have waited as a church. He taught us to. And thank you, Lord. Thank you for the lessons. Thank you for taking a, a, a strong-willed group of people and making their desire for him even stronger. Because that's what changes us. That's what changes us putting him on the back shelf, choosing what's good instead of choosing what's perfect. Do you understand See, when God leads, you can have the faith to know that he knows what he's doing. And see, we've seen that time and time again here in Ignition, this tiny little house church. How God has opened doors in Nigeria. How God has opened doors here. God has opened doors in Washington, D.C. Some of the people that I have met, some of the people that I have contacts in my cell phone are really mind-boggling to me. And I think mind-boggling to them when, when they find out we're just a house church of 50 people. See, what God has done is because it's him. It's what Jesus has done. It's what Jesus has done in your hearts. It's in choosing him to lead. And the alternative is to wait. Is to simply wait. Because, see, sometimes he doesn't tell us right away. He doesn't tell us what's coming right away. There was another mistake that they made. I want you to go to Acts chapter 6. And these, these mistakes are subtle. I want you to understand these are not, you know, egregious, sinful mistakes. You know, Peter went out and, you know, started cheating on his wife. It's nothing like that. But do you know how much more devastating to take control is? When we take control from the Holy Spirit... 
and walk in that control ourselves, it is as devastating as if we had done the other. It really is. Because it affects so much more. So many more people, it affects them through deception. It allows deception to come in. I'm, again, turn to chapter 6. These were when there, there were, things were growing so rapidly. And you can imagine, I mean, on the first day, literally, the church goes from 120 to 3,120. It said 3,000 were added that day. You can imagine how crazy that is. But literally, a few more days later, Five more thousand. Can you imagine how crazy it would be here if within a week we had over 8,000 people? I mean, we wouldn't fit in this house, clearly. Right, but imagine. Imagine what would happen. How would you react to that? And and I I offer that as a sincere question because guess what? We're going to see it. We're going to see those things happen here at Ignition. We're going to see those coming very quickly. And I place before you, how do you react to that? Oh my goodness, Uh, we need, we need blank, 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 blank. We need all of this. We need this to happen. Our initial reaction in the flesh would be, okay, how do we control this? Instead of, Oh, Lord, you're the one in control of this. You brought these people. You deal with it. You do what you want. You order us and tell us what you want us to do. Because we trust you. It's kind of like what happened when the Lord said, when Jesus said in the feeding of the 5,000, he said, go get food for them. And he knew. By the way, I love, I love Jesus' personality. He stirs up trouble. He loved to. He could have told him, oh, sit down, I'm, I'm about to do a miracle and we'll feed everybody. But he, no, he said, well, go feed them. Knowing good and well, they're not going to know what to do. But you know what? He wanted them to turn to him and say, what do we do? And that's exactly what they did. And he said, okay, thank you for turning to me. Thank you for talking to me. You know what? I have a plan. Tell me what you have. Well, we have five loaves and two fish. Okay. You can imagine they're, they're like, okay. Seriously, does he know what that means? And then Jesus did it. Why is it any different now than it was then? Because he is not here in the physical? Is that the only difference? If Jesus were in the physical right now, right here, would you look to him as the leader? course you would. And you should. But why is it any different? Why is it any different with him not being here in the physical? Because see, he is here in the spirit. And there is no difference in that relationship with him now versus then. Except for one thing. Faith. They had more faith for control to what they knew than they had for trusting him for what he wanted to do. See, Jesus came to do something new, something different. Does that sound familiar? I'm going to tell you a very tough thing to understand here. A very tough saying. 
And I don't say it in condemnation in any way. Because above all, we have a history to learn from which they did not. But do you understand that Jesus has been trying to do the same thing with his bride for 2,000 years? And it's been failure after failure after failure after failure. Because, see, we think that the end goal is people to accept Jesus Christ into their heart as Savior. And then, you know, after that, uh, just kind of do good in your life and, you know, you're locked in. You get to go to heaven. That's really the goal. Let's get people to heaven. And, and by the way, I, I get it. You know, people are called to be evangelists, and, and we're all called to lead people to the Lord. But if that is the end game, then you're missing 99% of what the Lord wants to do in your life. That is literally the invitation only to relationship. You cannot build a relationship with Jesus Christ without knowing Him as Savior, without accepting Him as Savior. That's what I mean by invitation. When you accept Him as Savior, you are given that invitation to him, or from Him to be able to now get to know Him. Build a relationship with Him. Prove out the fact that you have said he is your God. You say it all day. But if you can't live it, then it's not true. So understand what happened here. Things are just getting crazy. All these people added and, and, and I can imagine and I understand this. All these people coming to the 12 disciples and you, you got to do this and you got to do that. You know how it is in church. Right? If you're in church leadership at all, for any length of time, you understand you will have discrepancies arise rather quickly. And, and Lex and I were very used to that in our background. So let's just start right at, uh, right at verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Boom, right away. Screwed up. Instead of declaring what's right and what's wrong, how about going to God and saying, What do we do? You're the leader. It's on you. It's on you. Tell us what to do and we'll do it. But do you know that he is not going to force you to come to him? If they had gone, now by this time they had no excuse. And and I don't want to sound harsh in that statement, but that's the flat truth. They had the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit. But there had already been a seed planted. Satan's so good at that. There had already been a seed planted of control, of doing it their own way. That that was the go-to right here. So verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. See, Peter forgot something. Peter 
forgot the fact that literally Jesus said, if you want to lead, you've got to serve. If you want to be the leader of all, you have to serve all. You have to have this perspective of service, not this perspective of, well, this is just my avenue. This is just my lane. I'm going to stay in my lane. Now, there's no doubt there was a need. I'm not arguing the fact that there was a need. There was a need that had to be handled. I'm arguing the fact that it was handled improperly. It was handled in a way that they knew how to do it and knew how to control it. And, and it could be done in a righteous way, in a good way. But again, it was another example of taking that from the Lord. Now, it would have been interesting to see how the Lord would have done that. I don't know. I do know one thing. The Lord knows the heart. He could pick people a whole lot better than we can. And, and I'm not saying these, these people were picked badly at all. But one thing that I will say... And this isn't always the temperature gauge, but this is a temperature gauge, especially if you're dealing with, you know, 8,000 people or whatever was at this time. That next verse. And what they said, meaning the disciples of doing this thing, pleased the whole gathering. (laughs) Right there, that's an indicator there that there could be something wrong. But that is also something that... Too many times leaders try to do. They try to please. Instead of just speaking truth, instead of just moving in a way that the Lord wants them to move, they try to please. And I get it. I mean, that, that's not a condemnation like, oh, they were so terrible. I've done it many times. We've all done it many times. But what I'm saying is the Lord wants to do something new. It's something he wanted to do 2,000 years ago. Do you recognize the fact that when Jesus came, he said, my kingdom is here. He said, he said, because I am here, it has come. The kingdom was there to be made manifest then, 2,000 years ago. But yet it's never happened. It's never made manifest. In fact, I grew up believing, and I think most of you probably did too, grew up believing that we will enjoy his kingdom after we die. That was never, understand this, that was never his intent. His intent was that his kingdom be brought here and made manifest because he is the ruler. But it's not happened yet. So why? It goes back to this idea of control. I don't know, look in your own life. I look at my life, and if you could assess all of the the lessons that God has given you your whole Christian walk, what percentage of those have to do with control in one way or another? Probably most. Probably. Because that's the real fight. It's between our control and his control. Now, you can also manipulate that. I could stand up here and say, well, the Lord wants us to do blah, blah, blah. He has said it to me, so we're going to do it. 
And you'd be forced to prove that out. But that's where he does develop units and teams. That's why he had 12 disciples in the first place. Do you you ever think about that? See, Jesus didn't have to do that. He could have come to this earth. He could have had his, his time on earth, his ministry time on earth, just doing what he did without the 12 disciples. Why, why do you think he had 12 disciples? Just to build some frustration in his life? <laughs> Which un- undoubtedly it did. No. It was to pour into them the understanding that they had to work together. That they had to love each other. That they had to be in unity with one another while at the same time not replacing him as the leader. That's what he taught him for three and a half years. That's what we're supposed to understand and we're supposed to learn right now. I want you to turn one more place. And that is in John. One of my favorite areas in the Bible. John 15 is probably my, my favorite Chapter. We're going to be actually right before that. Go to John chapter 13. The end of 13 I want to read. And then we're going to pop down to the middle of 14. But chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 say this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, recognize that commandment. Okay, I I, I want to repeat it. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, what? Just as I have loved you. See, we know, looking back on history, how much Jesus loved them. How much he loves us. He gave everything. He gave everything in that love. And he is commanding here that we're to love one another with that same sort of love. And that goes to what I said just a moment ago of these teams that he built. It doesn't mean there's not supposed to be leadership in a church. Of course there is. In fact, the Bible says to be an overseer, to even desire to be an overseer in the church is a good thing. To be a teacher is a good thing. A lot of responsibility comes with it. And the reason why is because you're not to take it into your own hands. You're not to control it. You're to allow the Holy Spirit to lead everything that you do. So God then also develops these teams working together. Because if I don't get something, then this person will. Or this person, or this person. If we're all seeking the Lord, because the Lord said he doesn't give it all to one. Prophecy is in pieces. He doesn't give it to one. Why? Because of this nemesis of control. If I knew everything, then there would be such a temptation to control it, to move it in the direction that I know. And that is so dangerous because Satan 
He's one of the best things he does is plant seeds. You don't see it right away. It's in tiny little decisions that we make. He plants seeds and those seeds grow. And they will always lead to that control. But when he does choose to unify a group of people in leadership, it's not to replace him. It's to be so unified together that when they are seeking him, he is not telling them anything different. God may tell us different pieces, but he's not going to tell you something and tell me the opposite in terms of, you know, certainly sin or even direction of something that he's doing. His whole idea is for us to work together. Oh, where the bride has messed this one up. I mean, think about it. The denominations, even, even the little local churches, it's so often about control. As I said, Alexis and I have been in administration for a long time, and, and it was, I, I've, I can't even, I've gone to countless, you know, the, those pastors' meetings where all the pastors in, a, in, in the area kind of get together, and, and you know what? It's, it really was no different for me than the Rotary. It really wasn't. For those of you who don't know what Rotary is, it's, it's basically a marketing group. That's basically what it was. And that's basically what those, what those pastoral things were. The people that were associated, they would kind of get together in talking groups. And other people would not. And then you would go and you would talk about how they're doing something different and, and you know, yours might be better or whatever. Now, and I'm not diminishing the fact that, that we're to get together and pray because we are. What I'm saying is if you take Jesus Christ out of the leadership, and not, not, in, a, not in a vengeful way, because I'm not saying that at all. The, these churches, churches that we were a part of the leadership of, our hearts wanted God. We just chose to do things how we understood it because we didn't know anything different. Well, this is just what you do. You know, you want people go go. You know, you you have a building now. You better put up a big sign so people see you. You better put something out on the internet. You better you know get people to know that you're there. God wants us just to trust Him, and He wants His bride just to trust Him. It has to begin. We can't control anybody else, but we can. Give what we do to him and let him move. And that's what he, that's what we have done from the beginning. Otherwise, we would have been in a building a long time ago. We would have been moving in different ways a long time ago. But you know what we wouldn't have? We wouldn't have the unity that we have. We wouldn't have the love that we have. We wouldn't have God showing through our lives to other people like we do. I want you to go down. We're in chapter 14. We're going to go to verse, begin at verse 15. 
And this is all the night before he was betrayed and all that stuff was happening. He was with his disciples. And verse 15 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Recognize this is before Acts, obviously. Jesus is still with them. He is telling them of this promised Holy Spirit. And and I know in their own minds, there's no way they could have known what was coming in Acts chapter 2. There's just no way. Just like there's no way we can know what is about to come that the Lord has promised us. When he says, I'm doing a new thing, just just rest assured you're not going to be able to guess what that is. It's, it's, it's just like what, what they, were, they were dealing with here. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. Underline this. But you will see me. Let me repeat that. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, knowing he's about to die, he's about to go on the cross. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You see, from the beginning, God had every intention of close proximity to you. He had every intention of being a part of every piece of your life. But just like he doesn't want us to control, he also will never control you. He will never take away your choice, because it literally takes away the potential for love. You have the choice to choose him. But he said, if you love me, you'll recognize that I am in the Father. The Father is in me and you are in me. That puts us all together. And then from there, don't be surprised that he will manifest himself to you. Why is that a surprise? Why? It shouldn't be. He said he would do it. In fact, he has said that he would do that. And why why this has been missed, except in pockets, for 2,000 years is beyond me. But you know what? You see it in every revival. Isn't that interesting? Every revival that has happened, you see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You see the manifestation of God. Every single one. 
That ought to teach us something. Are we just waiting for the next revival then? Or is the revival coming simply because we say yes to him? And we want every piece of our hearts to be controlled by him, to be given to him. He gave us life, so Jesus, here, my life is yours. I give it back to you because you paid for it. We have no idea. We have no idea, but you're going to see it. You see, you see pieces of it coming together now. We have no idea what his blood really paid for. If you think his blood was just to get you to heaven, you have a cheap understanding of his blood and what it paid for. You have a cheap understanding of the fact that there is a creation that's groaning because they want his children that are manifest in this realm to be in agreement with him, to move in unity, as he said it right here, to be unified, to love each other together as he loved us. He has started this movement. It has begun. And you watch. You watch what he does. Not what we do. Not what I do. Not what Alexis does. Not what Wendy does. Not what Jeff does. You look at what God does with a group of people that love each other as he has said to love. And then given everything to him. Boy, you know what? It had to take seven years to come to that place. Because we weren't ready. We weren't ready seven years ago. We weren't ready two years ago. Because when we say yes to God, he prepares you for the moment. And then all of a sudden it feels like a suddenly. Wow, I don't know where that came from. It's because he's been preparing it in your heart. That's what he does. He prepares it in your heart and then gets you ready because he's already ready. Jesus has been ready for 2,000 years, guys. He paid for it 2,000 years ago. It's already been paid. It's, it's kind of like an inheritance sitting there that you didn't even know was there. It's been yours the entire time and you had no idea. It's time to claim it. It's time to take that. But you know what? To take it means giving up yourself. It means letting him lead. It means unifying with other believers because the only way we can truly be unified is if he's the leader. And then as God puts together, as I said, God puts together leaders. By the way, the court team is the, I said last week, the court team is the leadership of this church. You'd be, you'd be good to know that I didn't pick any of them. I'm not sure I would have. <laughs> kidding. Sorry, Jeff. Well, no, I'm kidding. It was the Lord that picked them. It was the Lord that did it himself. Brought them together himself. I, I make no claim to that. Alex makes no claim to that. 
That's the Lord. But do you know, as I've said this a thousand times, if you are in an ignition at this time, because of what he has called us to be, because what he what he has told us he is going to do, if you are in ignition at this time, you are called to be a leader. It doesn't matter who you are. He has called you to be a leader in this movement, and he is preparing you. I didn't call you. Lex didn't call you. The Lord did. And the only way that you can know your calling in this movement, the only way that you can move in what he wants is by pressing into him and getting the answer from him. He has to be the leader. I'm going to close with this. If you, I, I don't have a, I had a drawing board this one time, first time I did it, but it, it's such a, such a great way to look at things. If you can picture a triangle, right? That bottom line is the bride. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ in, into their heart as Savior. How in the world do you unify a bride that is so scattered? Over this horizontal line, they're so scattered, right? They're all over the place. There's only one way to do it. See, if, if you have a man or a woman try and do it, then they might pull a few. You know, you might be able to get a few thousand, twenty, thirty thousand. I mean, we have churches. I know that one in Korea or whatever is 300,000, whatever it is. You could get a few, but you can't get them all unified. It's impossible. There's only one way, and this is my main task. As a preacher, as what God has called me to be, it is this one thing. It's to point you to Jesus Christ. It is to teach you what it means to have a relationship with him. Because once the bride starts looking at just Jesus, remember, Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, they're all one, right? When we start looking at just them, picture them as the top of that triangle. When we start looking at them and start moving toward them, what happens? We get closer together. That's right. And that is the unification. As we move closer to God, we get closer together as a bride. Those who choose to move in that direction, that is what this movement is. That's what Ignition 633 is. It's the movement of teaching people how to have Jesus Christ and relationship with him and hearing from him and knowing him and moving in that direction. See, I don't need to tell people in this church what to do. I just need to help them with relationship with Jesus Christ. He'll tell them. That's how it is with the court team. That's how it is with the worship team. That's how it is with every team in this church. Jesus is the leader. And it will always stay that way. Alex, come on up. I prayed over Greg before the service, and um, I asked the Lord to not allow any of the Holy Spirit's words through his mouth fall to the ground. And that is my prayer that... That the word that is released be a seed that is planted. And the Lord kept saying over and over again, three words even during this 
um, this message this morning, which is protect the perfect. Don't live in the what really amounts to the abuse of grace in this permissible of the will of God. His grace allows for a permissible will in many of our decisions and choice. His grace covers. But protect the perfect. We all desire to have God. What did you create me for? Have you ever just thought about that? You were an intentional design of creator God. And we want exactly what he has planned for us. It couldn't be more beautiful. He is our maker. He is the potter. We are the clay. And as we seek him on everything, and I would dare say, until he's shown you how to tie your shoes, seek him about that. <laughs> Some of us take those things for granted. But you know what? It's just amazing sometimes when we, we might need to seek him for some of the basics. Because we want to have such a, we said this down in the ladies' class, we were talking about prayer, that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I don't know about you, but I want to see God. And the last thing I just want to say before we close in prayer is this proves the importance of your prayer life not just being one directional. It isn't just lifting your voice to God. But as was said by one of the ladies downstairs when we were asking, what do you think of when you hear about prayer? It's the conversational. It's hearing the voice of God. You have to know that when you seek him, you'll find him. And by finding him, what does that mean? Not just that just this God in heaven is, is around us, aware of us. It's the real intimate conversational piece that when I seek him for answers, when I seek him for what to do, what do I do? I'm getting pressure from all these people. I'm, I'm not sure I can discern the intent of this one's heart who's dealing with me in this area. I'm not sure. I need your wisdom. I need your revelation. I need your direction. I need the next steps. He will speak. And then it's the faith to rest in the place of, I'm going to tell you the next steps. But I'm going to have you deal with something first. Because you want this answer, but you're not ready for this answer until you've dealt with this issue. That's where we get into trouble. We're like, Lord, I'm coming to you about this. I need this answer, this answer, and this answer. And he's saying, I want to give it freely. But you're not even ready to fully grasp that answer. Until you deal with this issue. And that's why waiting on the Lord. Waiting is a place of, it's a verb, man. It's a place of action. It is a place of absolute focus. It is the focus like, like the birth pains. Those women that know that. There is nothing you're focused on more than the birthing of your baby. I'm telling you, when I was in labor with Yvonne, I was not thinking about my mortgage, the fact that my grass needed to be mowed. You know, what I'm going to wear tomorrow, I was like, this baby needs to come out. <laughs> and there is a focus. And sometimes it's painful. But it's like, I'm just going to focus on what is the next step right before me. And God will direct your paths. And man, this, what, a, what, a, what a message that the, is the um, fullness of the explanation of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust him with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, even in the smallest decisions. Don't. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And then he will direct your path and lead you to the perfect. His grace allows for the permissible, but boy, seek him. Get back on the path. If you think you might have made a decision that's off the course a little bit, because a slight bit off course can lead you, in the long run, way off course. It always starts little, so we don't think that it has big implications. 
But then all of a sudden you find yourself, how in the world did I get over here? All I did was, uh, yeah, it's because his grace covered each one, but it wasn't as perfect. So that's what we need to seek after, and that's what he desires for us. That's what he desires for the bride. And man, that's what we were called into. I am thankful. Now what I used to argue with God about in the keeping of us being small, I'm so thankful. What I couldn't have learned if I had had to shepherd with my husband all kinds of people. There was so much more that I needed to learn. Most of which being the voice, the pure voice of God. And this conversational relationship I thought I had through the principles of the word of God. But I really didn't understand. You know, you don't know what you don't know. But God wants to teach you the things that we know not. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things that you don't know. It's awesome. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this word. This rhema word delivered from the Logos word this morning, God. That your Holy Spirit released in this room this morning, God. I thank you for it. Father, let it be planted so deeply within our hearts, God, that it might bring forth the right fruit in the right season, God. You have such a beautiful plan for each of us. God, if we just seek you in the purity, the purity of surrender to you, of the laying down of our lives and confession of sin in not my will but thine be done, a posture of our heart that is in sync with your heart, God. Lord, let us just find you there. So that responding to your heart becomes normal. It becomes the exhale of every breath. It's just you. We inhale you. We exhale what you're doing through us. That every breath is is your heartbeat. Oh God, I just desire that. It is so beautiful. It is such a beautiful place. God, that's what you created mankind for. To be in this beautiful place of fellowship with you. God, open the eyes. Enlighten the eyes of our understanding that we might be able to grasp what your purpose is for us. That that your will, your will that was planned in heaven be brought forth on this earth. We just praise you and trust you and love you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to...